everyone. We're back with another brand new shiny episode of the Legal Matters Podcast. I'm Jana Gardner, and I'm here with Dana Spears, and we are attorneys here at CAR in the Member Legal Services Department. That means that we take calls in the legal hotline, we write educational materials, conduct webinars, and now we bring you this monthly podcast. We do all of this in order to provide CAR members with all the legal information and advice they need to stay in business and stay out of trouble. For our main topic on today's podcast, we will discuss the TDS requirements and exemptions. But before we get to that, we have the popular Form Spotlight segment. Let's get into it. You may recall that last month's Form Spotlight focused on extending the listing agreement with CAR Form MT, Modification of Listing. But what do you do when you want to extend other documents associated with your transactions? This month, we focus on a form that does just that, CAR Form ETA, Extension of Time Addendum. So let's say I'm in a transaction and I need more time for my client to perform some obligation or undertake some action under the contract. How would I go about requesting this of the other party? Well, that's when you'd use the ETA form. That's right, form ETA. It permits extension of many time-sensitive contractual deadlines, such as close of escrows. Contingencies. Uh, Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buyer investigation period. Uh, The seller disclosure Yeah, you know, it's funny because you don't really think about sellers Mm -hmm. needing to extend, but that's exactly when they would need to, right right at the beginning, because you only get seven days. Right, if you need more time to get some reports together, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the form ETA includes language to extend the deadline for a lot of these common contractual obligations, such as close of escrow and contingency time periods. Oh, yeah, and also space for you to include other extensions or additional terms. Mm -hmm. Um, Keep in mind that the ETA, which is the um, extension of time addendum, it merely facilitates the process of making a request to the other party. The other party is never obligated to agree and sign the request for extension. So if they do, you're good to go. If not, um, do you think there's anything that, that can be done to encourage them to maybe sign? Sure. I mean, it's always a negotiation, right? Right. So you can try to convince them, persuade them. You can try to sweeten the pot by maybe offering a per diem or some daily amount of money to be paid. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a buyer and you need some more time to close, maybe, you know, per diem is a pretty common request. Mm -hmm. And you can include that language on the form itself when you're making the request. Oh, under the additional terms. Exactly. Requesting a close of Mm -hmm. extension of time for closing escrow and then an additional term say, you know, buyer will pay X dollar amount. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely worth a try if, if they deny you when you first send over your extension, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I want to add here, because this is a common hotline question, is what happens when someone won't sign the ETA or you don't get it signed before the expiration of your time period in the contract? Oh, good point. So a lot of times people will be very worried that if they don't have an ETA signed, what are going to be the consequences? Well, as you may know, For example, contingencies in our contract require what's called active removal. Mm -hmm. So they don't expire automatically. They have to be removed in writing. And under our contract, the contract doesn't expire or escrow doesn't just go away because you pass the close of escrow deadline. Someone has to take an action to cancel it. So when you are coming up at the end of or maybe even passing by a contingency deadline or a close of escrow deadline, you absolutely want to get this extension signed so you can have peace of mind about how much more time you have to perform. But don't panic if you don't get it signed or you don't get it signed right away because nothing will happen automatically. Right. You just It leaves you in that zone where someone might be able to give you a notice to perform. They might be able to cancel or take an 
another action, but it won't happen just on its own. Right. And yeah, they, they have to get that notice to you it, first. Exactly. So you can wait an expectation right. of that. But it's always, like you said, for peace of mind, you want to get the ETA signed if you can. Absolutely. All right. So, and that's pretty much all there is to it. It's a really simple form. It's easy to do, easy to complete. Mm-hmm. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, you can call the hotline. Exactly. That's what we're here for. Okay, so now it's time for the main topic of this month's podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the transfer disclosure statement law, the TDS, when is it required, who has to provide it, who's exempt from providing it, sort of covering a lot of our most common hotline questions on this topic. So Dana, where do you think we should get started? Well, why don't we start with how the TDS became a legal requirement? Sure. So there's a little bit of an interesting legal backstory to this. Um, It used to be that well, it used to be there were no disclosure obligations at all. But disclosure obligations in California started to come into effect in the early 1940s. That's when buyers started suing sellers um, for not having told them things about the property. And judges started issuing opinions, developing what we call case law, that stated that sellers must disclose all material facts affecting the value and desirability of the property. Mm. I think everyone's pretty familiar with that material yeah, fact disclosure. Exactly. And that obligation um, was put on sellers, and it was also put on agents starting in in the 60s, there was a case that said, agents, you have to disclose material facts you know as well. So for more than 40 years from when those cases started being decided up until the 80s, sellers had this obligation to disclose material facts, but there was no uniform way this information was required to be provided. They just had to provide it themselves. Mm. So then to address that issue, in 1987, the California legislature passed a law uh, which was codified as Civil Code Section 1102. And this created what's called the Real Estate Transfer Disclosure Statement, a.k.a. the TDS form, and also created the rules for when it had to be provided and who has to provide it. So that all comes straight from California law since the late 80s. Okay. Well, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the TDS form itself? Sure. So hopefully everyone is super familiar with the form, but just in case you're not, it consists of three pages uh, which essentially act as like three different types of disclosure in one, really. Mm-hmm. So the first page, it has all those check boxes, mm-hmm. right, that I think people are familiar with that ask you about the existence of certain items on the property. Are there sprinklers? Are there gutters? You know, right. is there so a So those satellite? are yes, no questions. Right, or just like even just check box. You check mm-hmm. them or you don't if, they're, if there's something on the property or there's not. Mm-hmm. And then on the second page, it has that series of yes or no, seller, are you aware of questions? Mm. Seller, are you aware of certain issues or conditions on so the property? So it's not straight yes or no. It's more, are you aware? Exactly. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yeah, okay. totally. It's based on seller awareness. So really, everyone can answer that question. Either right. I'm aware of it or I'm not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know whether you know something exactly. or not. And then the third page of the TDS uh pretty much consists of the agent visual disclosure obligations, Mm. both the listing agent and the buyer's agent. There's a section for them to say that they did a visual inspection of the property and to write on there and disclose what they observed, or even better, check the box to attach their separate AVID form. And that's page three. So So even if they didn't find anything wrong, like this house is just perfect. Right. They still have to sign this. Right. They have to, exactly. They have to to state that there's a box for that. Exactly. I did a visual inspection. Mm -hmm. Nothing to disclose. Okay. For the most perfect property in the world. I suppose. But yeah, exactly. So that's those three pages mm-hmm. and all together that's what is that's what's the TDS. All right. So what's the timing on this? When does the seller have to provide this? So the seller has to provide the TDS in in specific circumstances. So TDS is generally required on all residential one to four unit properties as well as mobile homes, um, real or personal property mobile homes. 
uh, in terms of providing the TDS and filling it out, you want to keep in mind that the agent does not fill out the TDS, the seller does. Mm-hmm. Um, the seller really does need to understand the critical importance of carefully reading and answering all the questions. So even though it's never an agent's job to fill out the TDS, it is your job to make sure that a seller understands how important it is. So um, a good way you can do that is to use CAR's newer form DIA, the Disclosure Information Advisory. Mm -hmm. It's one of our more recent forms and it provides good explanation to sellers on how all the disclosures, but including the TDS specifically, should be approached and what they need to keep in mind. And what's important, right? Right, exactly. Why why it's important to do it. Exactly, and it reminds them, for example, that the TDS has to be fully completed. All questions do have to be answered. Like you said, even if you're just saying, I have no knowledge, you're Mm -hmm. still saying yes or no. Um, And then any explanations need to be provided for any of those yes answers. If you do have knowledge of some issue on the property, you can't just say yes and leave it at that. You got to provide, you know, a little bit of context or explanation for whatever the situation is you're addressing. Right. And what's the consequence if they don't? Sure. If they leave something blank. Right. That's a really good question. So per the RPA, all the seller disclosures, including the TDS, are supposed to be delivered within those first seven days mm-hmm. after acceptance of the contract. Um, and it's really important for all the disclosures, but the TDS in particular, to make sure it's delivered and completed as soon as possible. Um, late delivery of the TDS or late completion of the TDS, if it's not complete at the time it's originally delivered, um, can extend the contingency period if the buyer hasn't removed their contingencies yet. Mm-hmm. And it can even reopen cancellation rights for a buyer if you are delivering or completing the TDS after the contingencies have been removed. Both the TDS law and our purchase agreement say that the buyer gets a cancellation window after delivery of a completed TDS. Right. So that that extends the period during which they are able to actually cancel the contract because you gave them this late disclosure. Right. Exactly. And so you want to make sure sellers are aware because obviously, especially if contingencies, if they're waived up front or they've been waived early on, Mm -hmm. sellers are going to think, great, buyer's locked in. There's no way out. I can keep the deposit if they cancel. But if they deliver this disclosure late or complete it late, the seller comes back. Exactly. They they reopen that window. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, now, are there all sellers, do all sellers have to do that? Are there any exemptions? Sure. There are definitely some exemptions. Um, You know, like we said, there's certain properties that doesn't apply to commercial, vacant land, Mm -hmm. five plus units. But even for residential one to four unit properties, certain sellers are exempt. Uh, There's kind of a long laundry list of exempt sellers in the code, um, but there's really five main exemptions Mm -hmm. that a realtor is most likely to encounter when they're doing a transaction. Uh, The first one is like an REO transaction, a Mm bank-owned property. Mm -hmm. So anytime the seller, if they acquired the property because they were a lien holder who foreclosed, they're exempt from the TDS. They don't have to fill that out. And if you've ever done a transaction with an REO seller, they wouldn't fill it out anyway. So (laughs) might as well, yeah, they're exempt. Mm -hmm. Um, The second is on probate transactions. If the property is being sold by the administrator or the executor of a probate estate, then that person is exempt from filling out the TDS. One thing I do like to remind people of, though, is this doesn't mean someone who inherited the property, right? So if you inherit a property through probate, but now you're just the owner yourself, now you're just the owner. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter how you got it. Right. But if you are the administrator of a probate estate and you're selling it subject to paperwork from a probate judge, then you're exempt. Then you're exempt. Okay. Exactly. Uh, third one you'll encounter sometimes is bankruptcy sellers. So mm-hmm. if the seller has filed bankruptcy 
And now the property is being sold by a bankruptcy trustee who's been put in charge of basically liquidating the uh, debtor's assets. Then that person does not have to fill out the TDS. Mm. Um, a fourth one you might encounter is government entities. Mm. So if the property is owned by the federal government, mm-hmm. the state of California, or even like a local city or county, um, they don't have to provide the TDS. And not surprising, right? right. The government, of course, they're going to exempt themselves. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, they, they don't have to do it. Now, the most common exemption or exempt seller you're probably going to encounter out in your transactions are dealing with trustees of trust. Of course. We get this question all the time. Absolutely. It's one of our most common hotline questions is what what to do when the property is held in trust, seller is a trustee. Now, you see a few different versions of this because there's people who are what we call successor trustees where someone has passed away and now they're administering the trust. But there's also people I think are getting more proactive about estate planning issues. Right. So people, you know, putting property into a trust is a form of probate avoidance. Um, it's a way to make sure that when you pass away, you're family doesn't have to go through like a lengthy or expensive Mm -hmm. probate process. They may be able to handle your property and your estate outside of that. So they create their trust now while they're alive. You see that often. Mm Miss John and Mary Smith Mm -hmm. trust, dated, blah, blah, blah. Living trust, family trust, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Exactly. And so we're getting more and more questions about sellers who are like alive and well, but the property's held in the trust. And so In terms of trustee seller exemptions, whether or not the trustee of the trust is exempt from the TDS, it's going to depend on a few things. What I tell people is that generally when the property is held in trust, the trustee seller is usually exempt from providing the TDS. Most of the time they're going to be. However, certain trustee sellers are not, which is if if the trust is a revocable trust and the trustee seller has either lived in the property in the past year or was previously the owner on title. So like they bought the property themselves and then Mm -hmm. transferred it into their trust later. Um, If it's a revocable trust and either of those things are true. And they have to be a natural person, right? Right, and they have to be a natural person, exactly. Can't be an entity. Yeah, if they're a corporate trustee or something. Although corporate trustee probably hasn't lived in the property in the past year. (laughs) Uh, But yes, it's a natural person, revocable Uh trust, who's lived in the property in the past year Mm -hmm. or previously held title in their own name. They are not benefiting from the exemption. They do have to provide that. So Mm -hmm. really what this is meant to capture is your sort of average, you know, married couple, Mm -hmm. you know, who put their property into a living trust, but now they've decided they're going to downsize or something or move. They're going to have, and they've lived in the house for 30 years. They're going to have to do. Or a single person. Yeah, or a single person, anybody. anybody. their property. Yeah. But exempt sellers can provide a TDS if they want to. Sure. There's actually circumstances in which they may want to or it's a good idea for them to do so. The thing about these exempt sellers is that they are exempt from filling out the TDS form. That's mm-hmm. what they're exempt from. They're not exempt from making disclosures. Mm-hmm. We started talking about, you know, at the beginning here about the obligation to disclose all material facts. There's no exemption from that. Right. Everyone has to disclose all material facts they know about the property. So a trustee seller or a probate administrator, they're not exempt from disclosing material facts. They're exempt from filling out a real estate transfer disclosure statement. It's not exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So every once in a while, you'll have a probate administrator who maybe lived in the property as a caretaker before the person died or trustees of a trust where it is an irrevocable trust, but maybe they didn't live in it, but they managed it as an investment property, and so they know all about repairs and things like that. And they're still going to be responsible for disclosing that knowledge that they have. So in those circumstances, um, it's probably a good idea for those sellers to opt in to the disclosures, um, whether it be the TDS 
or you know the seller property questionnaire, the SPQ form, that's another good one for them to fill out. It asks them a lot of questions about material facts, and that's another good format they can use to make that disclosure. disclosure. And Absolutely. that way, for, you certainly are able to um, give all of the material facts that you have that you will probably not miss anything if you go through those Ex- two forms. Exactly. Because you do have to do the exempt seller disclosure right. Ex- anyway. Exactly. And, but it's very, very short, and it doesn't really give you all the prompts, so right. you may forget something. Right, exactly. We do have the ESD, the exempt seller disclosure, but the seller property questionnaire is a lot more thorough. And what I usually tell people on the hotline is if they have an exempt seller, but they, they know that seller has some knowledge, at the very least, have the seller sit down and look through the seller property questionnaire. And if they are looking at the questions going, oh, yeah, I know about that, I know about that, then they're better off just filling it out exactly. than not filling it out. Yeah. So we've talked about the exempt sellers. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about when a seller is not exempt. Sure. So this <laughs> has to do it. Right. So, you know, we talked about, you know, residential one to four unit properties and pretty much all sellers unless you qualify for the exemptions we talked about. Mm-hmm. But we still get a lot of calls on the hotline from people who basically are like, but what about in this circumstance? Mm-hmm. What about this seller? Um, you know, can't the buyer waive the TDS? They say they don't care doesn't matter. Not waivable, required by law. Right. Um, you know, oh, my seller's just a flipper. They're an investor. They've only owned it for six months. They never lived there. Doesn't matter. Right. Um, especially if they're a flipper, they probably have put a lot of work into the property and right. know a lot about the repairs that have been done. And what about the famous, it's as is. It's being sold as is. <laughs> exactly. And that's another big one. And, you know, our response is always like, yeah, we know all <laughs> properties are sold as is, but subject to disclosing the material facts, right? Um, corporations, LLCs, just because the property is held in a legal entity, a lot of people think that must mean, oh, well, they're a corporation. They can't. Mm-hmm. No, they're still required to fill out the, the TDS. There's no right. exemption that for corporations. Out of state yes, sellers, right? Exactly. Like oh, you well, know, they, they live in Florida, but they own a home. Exactly. Here. Yeah, that, that's not going to matter either. The property's going to be torn down. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Buyer doesn't, you know, buyer doesn't care. It's a tear down, land right. value only. If it, unless it's already been torn down, right. then it's still a residential property and you still have to provide the disclosure. Right. And and same with um, power of attorneys because yeah. you probably didn't live there. Exactly. Maybe somebody's in a, in a facility, mm-hmm. they can't. Right. But know. because it's a power of attorney, the principal is still the, that person on title. Disclosure is still required. Um, and then the other one that we get kind of a lot is uh, for sale by owners. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, Oh, it's, you know, the, the seller doesn't have an agent. What disclosures do they have to provide? Well, it's the same ones. It's right. required by yeah. law. It's not, you know, something we made up that realtors enforce. It's required by law. So even if you're right. dealing with a for sale by owner seller, it applies to them too. So And investors, short sale scenario. Oh, yeah, short, yeah, short sales. Um, that's another one where property hasn't been foreclosed on yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the lender has to consent to the transaction, but the seller is still the borrower. They still yeah. have to sign it. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a bunch of those. And if you're really not sure, hey, that's what the hotline's for, exactly. right? Um, and as far as any more information on this topic, uh, we have a lot of it on car.org in our risk management section. We have a Q&A on the transfer disclosure statement law and a whole separate Q&A on just the exemptions. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have quick guides on those as well. If you look through our legal tools page, honestly, go to car.org, look for transfer disclosure statement. You'll find quite a bit of material on this topic. Exactly. So this wraps up another exciting episode of the Legal Matters Podcast. 
Just a reminder that this is just one of many ways we are reaching out to you from the Member Legal Services Department. There are numerous resources and services available to you at car.org. And CAR members can always call the legal hotline with any questions or other legal issues. You can reach us at 213-739-8282. Attorneys are waiting to talk to you on Monday through Friday from 9 to 6 and on Saturdays from 10 to 2 for transactional specific questions. And also, speaking of CAR.org, we always have our legal tools content, which has a lot of sort of quick hit informational topics on various issues, uh, quick guides, little one-page handouts, PowerPoint presentations, short videos, and then, of course, our standard legal Q&As. Don't forget about our legal live webinars that happen every month on CAR.org. Check your email for our next one coming up soon on the new laws. Um, And then don't forget about our disclosure charts, where you can find everything you need to know about, you know, some TDS requirements and disclosures beyond that as well. Mm -hmm. Go to CAR.org, go to risk management, and see all that we have to offer. Uh, And you can reach us here at the podcast with any suggestions for topics or forums you'd like to see covered in the podcast during our Forum Spotlight or Question of the Month segments. Uh, Send an email to us here at legalpodcast at car.org. That's legalpodcast at car.org. And speaking of the podcast, we're so grateful for all the support we've had so far. We've had such really excellent feedback from you guys, and we really appreciate your support. Um, remember to subscribe to our podcast on the Apple Podcast platform. If you use uh, have an iPhone or you use iTunes, Apple Podcast is a great way to get us. We should also be available on any other app you use to listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and on those services, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you like what we're doing, give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you enjoy it. We really mean a lot to us. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to listen to the bonus content that's available on this feed in the form of Legal Bedtime Stories, a little mini podcast that comes out in between our episodes. It's presented by our Assistant General Counsel, Neil Kalin, telling entertaining bedtime-style stories that are legal educational as well. So I think you'd really get a kick out of those. We have a couple of them coming out this month. Right, and a special Halloween version on Halloween. Absolutely. That's great. Mm -hmm. So that's it for now. And until next time, happy transacting.